1: Hi, I'm Stephen. And I'm Anoush.
0: Anoush is performing the role of the I Can't Believe It's Not Helen. Helen is away. I am, of course, back, which is why we are back to normal service. Also resuming normal service is the Labour leadership election. Uh, It's sort of a lot like last year's, except it's a bit hotter and everyone's slightly crankier. Um, (laughs) We now have a YouGov poll showing what I think it's fair to say no one in this office was particularly shocked by... Jeremy Corbyn miles ahead in the Labour leadership, heading for a second successive landslide.
1: Yeah, an even bigger mandate, his favourite word, (laughs) than he had last time. Um, No, no one was particularly surprised, but to see it splashed on the front page of the Times, which was the paper that that did the poll with YouGov, has really um, sort of wiped out any of those hopes in Corbyn's detractors that Owen Smith would somehow come out of this the victor, and that there are all of these secret voters and people in unions who, who actually were backing Smith, but but they were sort of shy Smithsters.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think the thing I found remarkable about this, the sequel, as it were, is uh, the behaviour of a lot of people who are opposed to Corbyn, who have tried exactly the same approach... Exactly the same message than didn't work last time, and've had this and a number of people who seem surprised by this. This, this YouGov poll, which is everything we expected from CLP nominations. It, it's everything saying something, you know, fairly off colour about Jeremy Corbyn on the internet would lead you to suggest. And yet they're surprised. I just don't get it.
1: I suppose that people do have a little bit of hope in them from the fact that these are such unpredictable times. And you can hear it from anyone making predictions anywhere from the French elections to the US election. Who knew that Donald Trump would become the Republican candidate. Who knew that Jeremy Corbyn would become the Labour leader? There's so many things that are completely beyond our ability to predict the outcome, apart from maybe you, Stephen, who's had a, a few hits with your with your forecasting. Um, but yeah, I do think that people have that hope that there are just these secret blocks of voters and the, and this potential to surge at the last minute from unlikely candidates.
0: Although I should actually say, in terms of me predicting that Jeremy would stay this year, mm. I didn't think he would stay in these circumstances. I just assumed everyone would be like, oh, he's... Clearly going to win, so let's not do this. Mm. So yeah, I got that right, but only by coincidence. Yeah,
1: I mean, you always said that he would never, he would never stand down, right?
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean, I think the, the, the him standing down thing is just one of those other things where it's just like the hard left never stands down. That's kind of the point. If mm. they and a Jeremy Corbyn who who would stand down would be Ed Miliband. Like he's just like the whole point of his approach to politics is not you do not win in the conventional manner. Mm. And so why would you care if your shadow cabinet went? It just like, felt like a weird misreading of, of who he is, what his aims are, exactly. what his approach and I, to winning. And I think
1: what people forget is that the party that Jeremy Corbyn has been um, a member of for all of this time has not been the party that he wanted it to be. So he's seen it, even though it's won elections, he's seen it as, as a broken institution that he is now fixing. And everyone else who is against Jeremy Corbyn sees that as the other way around and project that onto him.
0: Yeah. I do think that's one of the uh, slightly strange things about Labour's internal battle. Is it does feel like there's a, it does feel almost sometimes like you're talking to two separate people speaking, playing two different sports, speaking in two different languages. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, kind of. So like the coup was like, but we've got Jeremy in check, and Jeremy's like, are we not playing Scrabble? Like, I because that's <laughs> definitely what I think is going on here, <laughs> yeah. um, and it is just really
1: playing Scrabble with Monopoly pieces. Yeah,
0: and it's like when well, they like, well, actually, it turns out that... These two will have very different ideas. But Mm. I think the odd thing is I feel when you talk to people in in Jeremy's office, they're much more likely to be like, okay, right, so, you know, so the party's Social Democrats, this is how they feel. The party's Liberals, this is how they feel. Mm. Whereas it feels like the centre of the Labour Party doesn't quite seem to have realised that there are three discrete ideological factions in the Labour Party. There always have been, and that negotiating with one in the way you would with another is obviously not going to work.
1: Exactly, and I've seen a sort of new fourth faction um, arising in the Labour Party as well, which is some of the main sort of hardcore supporters of Jeremy Corbyn actually have quite different priorities to team Corbyn and the yeah. leadership office. So they want to have... They have this idea of, of a progressive alliance and sort of breaking British politics in order to fix it for the for the ideology that they believe in. Whereas I think Jeremy Corbyn is a bit more of a traditionalist in terms of taking over the party, changing it to have it in the image of he and his allies, and then ruling from very much a parliamentary perspective rather than a mass movement perspective. I think there is a bit of a divide there.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely a definite generational cleavage. I mean, actually... We've got lots of things we should talk about, but we should discuss the Progressive Alliance because obviously you are, you know, our resident green expert, I think probably the most well-connected in the green movement mainstream journalist. Um, There's been a lot of talk about a Progressive Alliance. How, I mean, within, yeah, if you're the average green, what would Mm. they... What do you think they would want for a progressive alliance? Because I feel like we never really talk about it from the perspective of what the other parties would want out of it.
1: No, I know. We, the Greens have wanted this for a while. They didn't really quite come out and say it before the last election because they thought that they were doing pretty well on their own. Um, but they, what they want is, I think, ultimately, is to have deals with Labour MPs, probably Corbynite Labour MPs or candidates in seats where the Greens are very strong, seats obviously like Brighton, but also places like Bristol and I think Norwich and those kind of places um, where they would perhaps run on a joint ticket or they would perhaps only run one of the candidates, either the Labour one or the Green one. I think that would be pretty much all they could hope for in a first-past-the-post system. and i don't think that looks likely because uh, labour well at least jeremy corbyn's labour has not is not particularly keen on this idea at all, even though some of his supporters are like I said earlier. Um, so I don't think it's really going to happen. But another another thing that the Greens can get out of this progressive alliance idea is perhaps if they unite somehow with um, other parties on key issues. So okay. if they want to agitate for voting reform, for example, then they would have a little bit more muscle if they could get other parties on their side. Again, Jeremy Corbyn is not a big fan of that of, of that policy, so I don't think they'd get much traction for him in that yeah. area.
0: I mean, I think the thing I find slightly strange as a sort of long-term so i love coalitions because you know i'm a boring wet european social democrat (laughs) i like europe i like proportional representation what i find weird is the progressive alliance for a lot of people seems to be a way that you impose a politics which is to the left of the politics you can win under first past the post Mm. except the second you think about any of the things you'd have to concede to form a progressive alliance that falls away very quickly you know I am fairly in tune with the SNP's approach to politics, which is kind of centrist social democracy with a kind of lashing of, of nationalism. So it's kind of the approach you'd see in a lot of African socialist parties in mm-hmm. many ways. But if you're going to give up policy to the SN, well, basically, the SN Labour only has one thing the SNP wants. Uh, that seat in Edinburgh South and 5% more of the vote in the next independence referendum. The second you give those things away, well, you've lost those SNP votes anyway. So where are you getting those from? Oh, they have to come from UKIP. They have to come from the Conservatives. They have to come from the right. Ditto with the Greens. I'm not really actually certain what it is... The Greens are offering to the Labour Party in this deal, like. What, no, exactly. Caroline Lucas will continue to be the MP for Brighton Pavilion, like. Yeah, exactly.
1: The Labour don't stand to get anything from this deal because there's not really that that many of the Greens who are in, yeah. who are in office. But I suppose something that Labour could have hoped for that there was a little bit of a rumor about during the, the mass resignations was something like Caroline Lucas serving as shadow environment secretary. She's very popular among that sort of section of voters. So I suppose they, they could use her, but, but I don't think she'd ever agree to that because there's not much in that for her because she's very popular as a standalone figure and she can do basically what she wants. Yeah. Um, so I don't really see it working in terms in Parliament, at least maybe on individual campaigns.
0: Yeah, and then yeah, the kind of the second you kind of then enter the Lib Dems into it. It's like well, yeah. you'd have to give them quite a lot of stuff, and it feels like a really odd set of concessions to effectively end up moving significantly to the right of where the Labour Party is. Which of course is why lots of Blairites and social democrats in the Labour Party and lots of liberals in the Labour Party have been pro-PR because they think that it locks in a kind of centrist center-left politics and that's the only way you'd be able to get to 51 percent which i mean is probably true mm. the reason why tony ben and jeremy corbyn is of course is kind of his political heir in lots of ways and you know has always been a close out of him were against for uh, electoral reform isn't you go from a situation where your your challenge is to get 40 percent of the vote and 329 seats in the house of commons for a radical left put. Po- uh program. So mm-hmm. we need to get 50% of the vote for a radical left program. It just feels like a really strange way of making Labour's problem Worse,
1: exactly. I mean, like, you'd have to compromise your radical left program quite significantly. Yeah, and I think there's there's definitely an irony there because a lot of the supporters see PR or a Progressive Alliance under PR as the way that they can finally be represented by people who have, hold their views. But actually, what they seem to forget is that we'd probably have a Tory UKIP government now if we had that. Yeah. Kind of system. and that thing
0: is like, yeah, yeah and you know, it, I mean, I think it. Pro- I think. Because, you know, my favourite fact about how bad things are for the left in Europe is who is the second most successful left-wing politician in 2015. It was Ed Miliband. (laughs) (laughs) Because no one else got as high as 31% of the vote. Mm. Primarily that was because of of first-past-the-post. But actually all that would happen is some of that vote would go to the Greens, some of it might have gone to the Liberals, some of it might have gone to a traditional communist party. Yeah. Um, But it wouldn't actually have increased the net left vote very much. It would have just changed the problem. Mm. You know, the problem isn't the Conservatives got two million more votes than everyone else. The problem isn't four million people voted for for UKIP. Uh, It is is a strange one. On the subject of voting for UKIP and UKIP-like things, effortless segue right there. (laughs) Brexit. What does Brexit mean?
1: Brexit means Brexit, (laughs) which is uh, Theresa May's line that she's sticking to and repeating. Um, She had her... I think the three Brexiteers is now their nickname. She had those in for a meeting today. That's David Davis, who is... Um, I think he's Minister for the Department for Exiting the EU. Yeah. Uh, Liam Fox, who's International Trade Secretary, and Boris Johnson, who's for- Foreign Secretary, um, to discuss with them how they're actually going to start doing this thing. Um, I don't know, Stephen, what you thought, but I thought it was very much a sort of media-managed, just here, here is, here is our lines on it, but we're not going to give you any detail whatsoever.
0: Yeah, because I think... One of the things that Theresa May and Philip Hammond, who is obviously the, yeah, the thing mm. we always forget, is, you know, as Harold Wilson famously said, whoever is in office, the Treasury is in power. Mm. The Chancellor is, you know, the most important thing. It's why, you know, when people go like, oh, wasn't it a mistake to put John McDonnell in as Shadow Chancellor? Those, those people don't understand how politics works. You need to have a close ally mm. at the Treasury. I think that there's an awareness from May and Hammond that you cannot show what your cards are in advance because it, it ri- increases the price that you will you will have to pay at a European level. So for them, it is all about going into a room with not... And we still don't have that much of a clue what it is her priorities hmm. in negotiating the terms of our exit are, uh, which, I mean, I think from a making a deal in Brussels perspective makes a lot of sense from a... You know, for me not getting a second grey hair, I got my first grey hair during the Labour leadership race. Really? This yeah. one? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was very upset about it. <laughs> I was um, going to say, that's quite late. Um, but yeah, I've got... yeah. But you know, I've got, I've got... Actually, I was about to say, I don't have good genes about that kind of thing. My mum looks like a badger. <laughs> uh, but... Um,
1: I hope she doesn't listen to this. No,
0: she doesn't listen to the <laughs> podcast. She's she's, she's she's made it onto, onto you know the, the website. Mm. And she occasionally, uh, when she goes into town, because uh, she now lives somewhere fairly rural, she buys it from WH Smiths, as indeed should all of our listeners, unless you are print subscribers. Um, but, and all of our parents. And all of our parents. Yeah, <laughs> they should all, all... Please? Yeah, please, please buy the NS. Um, but she hasn't yet made it to the podcast. Okay. I hope. Uh, I guess I'll find out if I get an angry phone call claiming she doesn't look like a badger. But she does, in fact, look a lot like a badger. I worry whenever the badger call comes back, I you know, go to visit her and they'll just be tear gas or whatever oh, it is God. they're using to off the badgers. Um, anyway, that took a turn for the dark. Um, but yeah, she's she also has always believed that uncontrolled immigration uh, and mass immigration is fueling support for the populist right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an irony, and of course, uh, a lot of people would say that politicians going on about immigration is fueling support for the populist right. You know, yeah. potato, potato. Um, but other than that, we just have no idea what it is she is looking to get, which is slightly unnerving.
1: Yeah. No, I know. The thing that perhaps we should be focusing on, because we can't really... We can't know what the EU side are going to because they're not going to show their hand and, and Theresa May has clearly been quite subtle about saying what her priorities are. So I think we need to look at the domestic picture. I think I think Philip May's, Philip Hammond's first um, spending commitment has been to do with uh, the subsidies and the grants that we usually get the, from the EU and how the Treasury is going to fill in the gap. And he hasn't got a plan beyond 2020. And it's quite a substantial amount of money, particularly for poorer areas that benefit from EU projects, like in, the, in, like in Cornwall and in Wales. Yeah. Um, so I think, really, it just spells deeper, more painful public spending cuts um, in order to try and fill in those gaps. And so that's the only thing we really know that's going to happen, which is quite a bleak vision yeah. for Britain.
0: Well, that's a cheerful note. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's move on to other things.
2: Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And together we host the New Statesman's pop culture podcast, Seriously. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can get this episode and everything else we've done on newstatesman.com forward slash s-r-s-l-y.
0: And we're joined for our second segment by our new digital culture writer, Amelia Tate. Hello. Uh, Who will be talking to us about Jeremy Corbyn's digital policy launch, um, which was a sort of suite of measures uh, about the digital realm. I think it's fair to say it was probably one of the most ambitious single announcements of that kind of thing. Uh Yeah. seen
2: for a while. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, a lot of it is just very theoretical right now. I mean, there's eight points to it. But a lot of it is like, we want to make the internet this great place with no discussion of how they'll actually do it.
1: Yeah, well, I I read um, Amelia's piece where she unpicked each of the different um, pledges in the manifesto. And I thought what was interesting was how Many times the word "utopia" came up, and i think it's I, I think it's very much sort of signature jeremy corbyn he he has these really grand quite well meaning dreams for in this case, the internet community, the online community, in which he wants to make it a sort of open utopia, but also a very secure one where our privacy is protected. But often those things just completely clash online, don't they? And he, like you wrote, there was no real, um, there was no real meat to how he'd actually be able to implement these policies and also how to police them to ensure that to ensure that they're actually safe. And so there is that classic Corbyn um, sort of mismatch between what he dreams of doing and what the reality actually would be.
2: Yeah, exactly. I tried to divide it between what was good and what was bad and what was meaningless. But at the end of the day, it was all good-natured. He meant well, but just some of it wasn't practical at all or had already been done or suggested by the Tories. And and in that way, you know, it sort of didn't actually add much new.
0: So give us a run of the things that were good, bad, and meaningless. So, good.
2: Uh, Good is the Universal Service Network, um, which is basically just the proposal that everybody deserves the internet and the idea that he's going to make sure that everybody, regardless of where they are in the country, um, gets access to broadband, which obviously you can't really argue with. That is a fantastic idea. Um, It is something that the Conservatives have been trying to do for a while as well, though, so I don't think it's particularly revolutionary. Another good point was just this digital Bill of Rights, um, basically protecting our privacy online, which I think everyone, it's an issue that everyone worries about nowadays. A couple of the bad things, the digital uh, citizen passport, which actually already exists, as Stephen pointed out to me yesterday, um, as gov.co.uk's Verify, so that was just one of those things that there was really no need for him to even mention it or think of it.
0: And the meaningless...
2: The meaningless was all the utopian uh, stuff, the open knowledge library, which was basically the idea that everyone can have access to academic papers and, you know, for a national education service, but that is basically what the internet is, Um, and he sort of (laughs) didn't say specifically how it would be different or how he would even get people to share their academic work on such a level, and it seems like it would take a lot of funding to do something that basically already exists.
0: Because I think the I li- I really liked the digital bill of rights stuff mm-hmm. uh, because we do still have this weird kind of wild west thing with with online rights. I really liked the uh, digital access stuff because I think although the government's trying to do things about it at the moment, they basically have this attitude. And if you fail it, your if they fail to provide people adequate internet access, then it's somehow the people who don't have adequate internet access's is fault. Mm-hmm. Um, you you wouldn't be able to you know not send someone a letter to let them know they were in arrears and then declared that it was their fault. But you can do that if you're the government on the internet. Um, but yeah, I also, I don't know about you, Noosh, but it did kind of feel like the lobby at its worst when people were like, digital passport what does this mean if just like if you don't know don't advertise your ignorance
1: yeah i do think whenever a government or whenever a party tries to introduce some kind of digital strategy i think ed Miliband had a similar sort of intention although it was not nearly as um fleshed out it's very easy to mock it's very easy to conjure up that scene from the thick of it where uh peter mannion the tory mp says i call app britain which is some sort of really clumsy slogan for a, for a sort of digital thing that he's trying to launch. It's very easy to mock, but actually we haven't seen any party leader give such a um, broad and um, thoughtful analysis of what actually needs to change about our relationship with the internet and with technology in order for it to be fairer. So the idea of bringing the internet to more people is actually quite a, a good lefty thing to do because i mean people eventually will have to do all of their benefits and stuff on online and also voting as well voting registration i mean it's it's all quite democratic and 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 nice um but i yeah i do think they have a long way to go before they have some properly fleshed out policies but it, but it's i think it's the step in the right direction and, and we really shouldn't be too cynical about this kind of thing because it is the future
0: well on that optimistic futurey note uh we will be back next week Now it's time for You Ask Us, a feature in which you ask us a question. Uh, we had a very full mailbag this week, which we're very grateful to. So please send more questions. We will try and get through the uh, the questions we have. But while Helen is away, I am in sole charge of what questions are asked, <laughs> uh, which is obviously a mistake because I should never be given executive responsibility. So the question we're going to tackle is a thorny one, and I expect a lot of people will get in touch to tell me we're wrong. Uh, what... What Hogwarts Harry Potter houses are party leaders and big wigs in? Uh, So, yeah. So
1: let's start with the biggest wig of all, Theresa May. Yeah. Where where do you reckon she'd go?
0: I mean, it's an interesting question. Like, where do you put non-posh Tories, right? Because obviously all posh Tories are are in Slytherin. Like David Cameron, Slytherin. Yeah. George Osborne, Slytherin. Right. They're all. They're all like. And a certain type of working class Tory, like the kind who has like a slightly menacing voice, like yeah, um, yeah like Norman Tebbit, <laughs> Slytherin. Philip Hammond, Slytherin. Yeah, Philip Hammond. Is you fantastic. can just imagine, like, because you can imagine, like. Malfoy being like Hammond get him <laughs> and then this is I realized this is why I like Philip Hammond uh, is because he has the same Essex accent as basically everyone who gave me my first jobs so whenever he says something I just feel like ah, oh, it's probably probably good sense and then it's like wait no it's not it's <laughs> or you're actually... scared yeah or I'm scared so our, our, my first manager we always used to like joke stuff had this weird way then even comp everything he said sounded like a threat <laughs> so he'd just be like great job merchandising that thing (laughs) oh my god what have you done to my family where are they he just had that kind of slightly menacing so yeah those ones are easy but like where do you put like the ones Mm. who because i just don't i don't think she is a slytherin
1: no i don't think she's a slytherin i think people would say she's a slytherin on the surface but she's got maybe she's more like a ravenclaw yeah yeah she's
0: kind of you know she's like a hard-working like priest's daughter she's like you know she's very cautious yes um yeah
1: yeah, she stayed above the fray. Yeah, in terms of infighting, and
0: that thing is like, what? What do the Ravenclaws do? Yeah, the exactly. They're above the fray. I mean, they, the fray, they aren't do they? nothing. Like, they, that they, is their position. Like, yeah, they, they are. They are literally Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> they are. Um, yeah, um, right. So Theresa May, right? Right. So, Theresa right,
1: May, Ravenclaw. Yeah.
0: So um, Tim Farron Tim nailed on Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff
1: yeah, absolutely. Hufflepuff. I mean, like,
0: basically, Lib Dems are Hufflepuff. Yeah, they? like that. That is their thing. But, you know, like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Apart from maybe someone like. Paddy
0: Ashdown. Paddy Ashdown. Yeah. Uh, maybe makes it to Gryffindor. Gryffindor, yeah. Um, I think Nick Clegg actually. out oh, my first controversial call of the, <laughs> uh, of the session. Nick Clegg, I think, makes it to Gryffindor. Yeah. Um, well, you know. I think um,
1: so. I, I put him there. Who Jer- else is there?
0: Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs>
1: Jeremy Corbyn. Oh. Well, he's got, he's got qualities. He's a bit like a Harry Potter really, isn't he? Because he's got the um, sort of noble sincerity, slight self-righteousness of Harry Potter. So he should be in Gryffindor, but he's, he's quite, he's quite ruthless, isn't he? So maybe that gives him a Slytherin.
0: But I mean, ha- streak. Ha- I mean, yeah. But like Harry, has a Harry Sly- has, a Sly- has a Slytherin streak. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think he actually the Harry Potter thing does kind of work. Yeah,
1: because Harry's got uh, that. Yeah,
0: because and also like you know Harry's got like his mate who kind of resents him and sort of thinks mm. that his job should be him. That's McDonald, obviously. Yeah. And then like there's like this, and actually the real hero is this like much more together witch yes. Hermione, aka Diana, Diana Abbott, <laughs> who, like, <laughs> the, the underrated. Uh, because basically they really ought to be called. Hermione Granger and a bunch of people whose job it is like basically like <laughs> yeah. she is like Doctor Who like so she's like continually like oh it's a thing you have to be like what's that Doctor she's like I'll explain yeah exactly and then yeah. because she doesn't use because obviously like the problem with all Doctor Who isn't because the Doctor doesn't use violence someone else has to come in someone and like has to the... solve the plot yeah do the, the actual end. stuff yeah, and that's basically you know like that is basically the Harry Potter dynamic so they yeah. in fact should all be renamed Hermione Granger and the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Hermione Granger and. Why is Chamber of Secrets so grim? Because she gets knocked out midway through, and that's like oh, yeah, the only yeah. one. Like, you know. When like she's not, helping, when them she's not helping them fix it. When she's not helping them fix it. that is the dystopian universe where something bad happens to Hermione. A snake. Or Diane around. Abbott. Or to Diane Abbott. Yeah. A snake would go around the houses of Parliament, <laughs> turning people to, to stone. Um, yeah. Right, so who are the other. So obviously, we've we've put all of the big labour beasts into. I mean, to me, I think Gryffindor is mostly like the Labour House, except actually, no, I think a, a lot of the side sort of like, so, you know, Ed band, Ravenclaw. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. That whole like expat generation, apart from maybe Andy Burnham, mm. who's probably in Hufflepuff, <laughs> um, Ed Balls. He's I mean, a bit so, of a so isn't I, I have a lot of opinions about it, okay. which uh, which we will save for another podcast. Uh, strict, strictly calm. I am not letting it go. Okay. Um, but um, actually, <laughs> what
1: about Owen Smith?
0: What about Owen Smith? I mean, it's a question to which is it's the answer to, isn't it? What about Owen Smith? Um, isn't he a squib um,
1: <laughs> or a house elf? No, maybe. he's not as helpful as that.
0: Uh, but Sorry, he, Owen. Yeah, um, but he will be set free on the twenty fourth yeah, of true. September. <laughs> um, this is the thing you realize actually: the houses are not that well. Like, basically, like they're not they're not sufficiently well drawn to make it. It's like like some people are obviously Ravenclaw and obviously Slytherin. Yeah, and then it's like they're not
1: they're not good for the soft left. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I actually think basically the soft left are Hufflepuff, right? Yeah, In that, like most of them, they're kind of just a bit Blair. And then occasionally, like Cedric, they try and do something brave, <laughs> but it doesn't work out and they end up dead or yeah. defeated in a landslide. But basically that works for all of them. Ed Miliband, mm. Bit Blair, trying to do something, smashed in the election, yeah. like Cedric. Andy Burnham. Andy Burnham. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't Andy Burnham basically a Gryffindor pretending he's in Hufflepuff? Because one time he... Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, he is... The, like, you know. Yeah. We all know that he is actually, like, you know, not not one of the soft left, no matter how much he, <laughs> how much he tries to rebrand. Yeah. Um, I mean... Sadiq. Sadiq is a difficult Ooh, one. That's
1: really hard.
0: I feel like Sadiq would just tell the Sorting Hat which house he wanted to yeah. be in. Whichever one he decided was going to, like, <laughs> you know, help him become president of the school council or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, like, yeah, everyone likes Gryffindors and Sadiq would want to be liked. So I think maybe he'd be like... Oh, yeah.
1: It? Yeah, he'd just tell it, though. Because otherwise he might be Slytherin if he's got that.
0: Yeah, no, I think he'd yeah. just be like... He'd basically be like, Oi, hat. Yeah. If you put me in Slytherin. <laughs> I'm going to put you somewhere and you're not going to like where you get put. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, some things I like about Sadiq is his, his menacing. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like a politician to have a slight, slight air of menace. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not too much, yeah. Like, once you get to the Tom Watson levels of air of Yeah, menacing, exactly. Because
1: yeah, at long. least Sadiq has a twinkle in his eye when he does it.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You, you can go far with a twinkle in your eye. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure that there are many objections to uh, those placements. Yeah. Uh, do let us know do email in with your thoughts on what house various politicians should be in don't necessarily restrict yourself to the present or indeed this country can we agree mm-hmm. by the way that Justin Trudeau would be in Slytherin because he's from he's from posh blood and there is something about that guy that is creepy there is something about that guy
1: but I think that's a controversial statement I think we'll but yeah. we'll wait for the Twitter abuse to, to flood in <coughs>
2: You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast, presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskowitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons.